about anything that went on in the pre-fights and all the news conferences? Negative. I'm good. I beat Polly. I left with his belt and his girl. Adrian, congratulations on winning the title. Polly, come on in. Hey, I'm just saying, you lost. I know, I know, I lost. And welcome back to the number one podcast of the sport where John Real Casimiro's taking money out of Naoe in Nui's pocket, man, by streaming his fight on his Instagram, whatever it was he was doing. You know, our sport has like no respect because if you streamed Casimiro's fight, he'd be kicking off, wouldn't he? Because you're taking money out of his pocket. But as I always say, boxers don't care about anything that doesn't involve them and their money. Yeah, selfish to the end but guys welcome back it's been a while i know but you know other things have got in the way so this is probably the first time i've had to sit down and you know give you my full attention we sit in a really interesting place right now in boxing where we kind of know the fights that need to happen to establish order in in the key divisions right so heavyweight however you want to slice and dice it the fight we want to see is Fury versus Usyk right now. That may change, depending on how Usyk gets on against Joshua in the rematch. But right now, we know. The winner of the respective champions' fights need to fight each other. So that's three fights we need in 2022. And we're happy, right? Less so when it comes to cruiserweight, because you've got Lawrence, you've got Bradis, you've got, you got names in there, but you've also got a rejuvenated Isaac Chamberlain, which we'll come on to later on. And you move down to light heavyweight. <sighs> we can't even get it right in our own country. Like, never mind what needs to happen globally. We can't even get, we can't get our act together in Britain to work out who the number one light heavyweight is. You know, there's there's even more confusion. And we've we sort of touched on the Yard Arthur thing and, you know, Dan Aziz and Spider. It's chaos. And don't forget, Andre Sterling's coming back new and refreshed. Super mid, ah, who cares? Middleweight, we know it involves a Charla, right? So we're, we're close to an orthodoxy there. 154 involves a Charlo. And is it Castagna? Welterweight, Crawford Spence. It's lined up now. So we go down the divisions and we get really close. Where we're not close at all is lightweight. And that's where we wanted absolute clarity because six months ago, this was easy. This was easy. You had Teo, you had Tank, you had Devin, you had Loma, and you had Ryan. Right? That's really what you had. And we were prepared to let Loma sit this one out. We were prepared to let Loma relax until we worked out which of the young bucks should challenge him, right? So you're looking at it and you go, okay, Teo versus Ryan, that's a nice fight. Tank versus Devin, that's a nice fight. You can build stories around those, right? And George Cambosos comes and boots that chessboard up in the air. And as disrespectful as it sounds, he's not the guy we want to hold the belts. He's ruined everything because of two things. One, he's with a non-affiliated promoter, right? So Lou DiBella isn't tied to a particular network. That means we don't know which way he's going to go, right? Number two, it adds another layer. So now we have to wait again for the big seminal fights in the division, which we're tired of doing. Right? We've, we waited long enough to get to a point where Crawford and Spence had nowhere to run. We waited ages to get to a point where Fury and Joshua slash Usyk had nowhere to run. We've waited ages to get to these, these crucial points. Jamel Charlo has nowhere to run. We've waited a long time and we don't want to wait another four or five years for these guys to do that and then see them start sliding up and down the division so they don't fight each other. That's exactly what we don't want to see. But I have a feeling that's exactly what we're going to see. Because if we go back and we look at Teofimo versus George Cambosos, I think that fight's probably been talked to death in the time that I've kind of been quiet. But this is what I will say. I sometimes wonder when someone pulls off a shock like that, 
And they understand that it's a shock because they know who they've just beaten and they've seen all of his fights. And they understand that if you fought Loma 50 times, you'd probably lose 30 to 35 of those. Teofimo Lopez knows that when he goes to bed. Is that the point where imposter syndrome kicks in? Is that the point where you go, I'm not sure I'm as good as I think I am because you've had a whole year of inactivity and people have told you you didn't deserve to win that. People have told you Loma will beat you in the rematch. People have told you you're scared. Did that destabilize what was essentially quite a stable camp up until that point? Because Lopez was the underdog and you know his performances were viewed through the lens of, I'd like to see him fight for a title one day. To all of a sudden, mate, you've got all the belts technically. So we look at you through a different lens now. And I don't think he coped with that. Much like Andrew Ruiz didn't cope with that fact that you're no longer an underdog. And maybe that's what George preyed upon. And George said, if I ride, if I ride through the storm, he will crack at some point. And kudos to him for doing that. But it wasn't the result that boxing needed. And then you had Devin Haney versus Jojo Diaz. Now, I'm not a fan of big lightweights pulling up featherweights to fight it. I just, I don't like it. Didn't like it with Gamboa. Didn't like it with Jojo Diaz. And knowing Eddie, at some point he'll pull up Tevin Farmer as well. I don't like that. It's not fair and it's not right. And, you know, Tevin Farmer... Not Tevin Farmer, sorry, Devin Haney. Let's not remember, this man is the king of the vacant belts, the king of the email belts. But he beats Jojo Diaz, which he's supposed to do, considering Devin can... I mean, Devin would be a competitive, like, welterweight. Never mind lightweight. So, let, you know, always view it through that perspective. And then we had Tank versus, I think it's Isaac Cruz, which is my kind of fight. You had a guy in Isaac Cruz who strip all the nonsense aside came to fight. Now, I want to zero in on this fight because a number of things interest me about this fight. Number one, I'm a fan of Sunday boxing. I don't know why we don't spread fights out during the week like the old days. You know, this idea that Saturday night is the only time people want to watch boxing is a lie. In fact, it's, it's the worst time to watch boxing because everything caters towards people who have leisure time on a Saturday. And sometimes you want to do something that doesn't involve boxing. Sunday is the perfect time. And that's why you get Super Sunday on Sky. Because they know everyone's at home. You've had your Sunday roast or whatever it is. And you can just take in the sport. You know, it's a nice, nice build up to the week ahead. I don't understand why we don't do more of it. It's the reason the WWE used to do their pay-per-views solely on a Sunday. And I think you should see more of that in boxing. I think we should have more midweek boxing. I don't think it makes a difference to viewership. I don't think it, it, it affects the gate. People either want to see good fights or they won't. I think people are just too scared to take their gamble on moving away from the Saturday. But let's just come back to, to the Tank Davis versus Isaac Lopez, for Isaac Cruz fight, sorry. At the top level, and I mean like when two guys who are accepted as top 10, when they come together, it's always decided on these fine margins. So remember all those lovely uppercuts you saw in the highlight reel before the fight. You can do those against B-list guys or guys who are too small to cope with your power. It's possible to, to look good that way. Isaac Cruz isn't one of those guys. Isaac Cruz is, number one, mindset-wise, he looked, he looked ready for war. He, he came to give his best. There's no question about that. And what he was able to do with Javante Davis was apply that pressure, which meant it was really hard for Tank to get leverage in on his punches because there wasn't the space to fully extend. And it took Tank a few rounds to realize these uppercuts aren't going to work because they'd been scouted and Cruz was able to block him. Right? He was always waiting for that uppercut to come through the middle and he had something in the way. And that may be where Tank actually injured his hand on, on, on an elbow somewhere in there. But what Cruz was also able to do was just to come back and put his pressure on, knowing that Tank was one-handed. And this is the thing people aren't giving Javante Davis credit for. He fought through with one hand and did the thing that he probably should have done from the start and start using his jab more. And that shows real boxing intelligence, the fact that he fought multiple different fights throughout that fight. Now, if you watch how he closed out the fight to make sure he got the win, 
That's elite level. That's what happens when you're around guys like Mayweather. You learn the, the dark arts. You become streetwise in how to see a fight out. There's a real skill in that. You know, you're not always going for the knockout. You're saying, well, as long as I keep this guy offset with my jab, he can't apply the pressure because what Cruz was really good at was keeping that pressure on. You know, never, never rushing in. His feet did all the work. His feet did all the positioning. And that meant Tank was in a real fight. And he was in a real fight when he didn't expect to be in a real fight. Now contrast that with Teofimo Lopez against George Cambosos, where Teofimo couldn't handle the fact that he was in a real fight and couldn't make the adjustments quickly enough. And you start to see the difference in mindset, the difference in experience, and you start to see the advantage of being around the right people in your developmental years, like Tank Davis was. So Tank does it, right? And, you know, he gets the win. I think, I think Isaac Cruz gives everyone a hard night. I don't think he's an easy night's work for anyone. And I don't think he's a guy that's going to get stopped unless he decides to move up in weight and comes up against someone bigger than him, right? These, these, these are things that we should all agree upon. Yet, Tank is criticized for not knocking him out. And it, it starts to feel a bit like he's carrying the Mayweather load again, where you're just like, if Tank loses, that means Floyd's really lost and we can stick it to Floyd because we're tired of the fact that Floyd never lost. We're tired of the fact that Floyd still has his money. We're tired of the fact that Floyd doesn't have brain damage. We're tired of the fact that Floyd got the beard transplant. We're tired of the fact that Floyd got the hair transplant. We just don't like Floyd. And we, we know why, but we dare not say it. But we don't like Floyd. Maybe Floyd Mayweather Jr. was called... I don't know, Stephen Phillips. And maybe if he was from Wisconsin, maybe he'd be a hero. If he was Irish, he'd be considered a demigod. But there's a real hatred of Floyd that flows down to his fighters. And people didn't like Devin Haney when he was associated with Floyd. Go back and look. Go back and look at the same tweeters, right? The same tweeters, not subs and mids. It's the same tweeters who were downing... Uh, Devin Haney on his way up. And now that he's with Eddie, he oh, he's the best lightweight in the world. It's why boxing fans are so toxic, isn't it? Like, there's no consistency. Whoever you need to give a kick into, you're going to find a reason to. Whoever you want to give praise to, you're going to find a reason to. Forget what consistency says. So here we go, right? We can, we can make a fair assessment of Loma. We can make a fair assessment of Taylor. We can make a fair assessment of George Cambosos. We can make a fair assessment of Tank Davis. We can make a fair assessment of Devin Haney too. We haven't been able to make a fair assessment of Ryan Garcia. Ryan Garcia seems to be the guy that doesn't want to be in this mix right now. And he may be battling demons. That's 100% acceptable. You know, why not? That's part of life. But he shows no appetite to get into this mix. And... Until he does, like, we've got to say these guys are moving away from him because nothing builds experience like experience. And it's not like Ryan Garcia had been in with real killers before. From a British perspective, we like to praise guys like Luke Campbell, but Luke Campbell never won a world title. Never. And no disrespect to him, but he hasn't really looked like ever winning one. And, you know, God bless him in retirement. And he'd admit he was a guy that could fight at world level without necessarily being at world level. And so you look at this landscape and you can't see where the pieces go next. You actually can't. And a lot of it's being directed by where your bias is. There's actually no rhyme or reason behind the choices people are making. Some people say it has to be Devin Haney for the real undisputed, but Devin Haney didn't beat anyone to get his belt. So it's still a, there's still a dispute. Devin Haney's only ever won vacant belts. He's never beaten a champion to take the belt, I don't think. You know, someone double-check and hit me back. So there is a dispute. So that's, for me, that's not the undisputed fight. Because Devin Haney isn't a standout candidate. People say, oh, he's got the real WBC belt. No, Teofimo won a WBC belt over Loma, who was, who was the man in the WBC at the time. Simple fact, he was the man. 
right? But what Hearn has been really good at is yanking, yanking the camera jockeys, right? Behind the gloves, IFL, uh, boxing social, seconds out and saying, listen, you guys need to start talking about Devin Haney because that's where your next paycheck's coming from. If we don't make the Haney fight, you guys aren't coming out to the States for the little jolly. So guys like Rob Tebbert, you know, eager to please, all jumping on the bandwagon. But there's no intellectual rigor behind saying Devin Haney. It's just what you're told to say. And then if I tell you, okay, the undisputed fight should be George Cambosos versus Tank. Tank doesn't have a belt at 135. My personal preference is always Tank because he gives me the fights I love to see. But I can't rationally give you a reason why that should be the fight. I almost feel like the fight we want to see is Teofimo and George run it back. For two reasons. One, let's see if George is the real deal. Two, tail with the belts allows for more fights to happen. And probably allows the linears to go in the right direction. I don't think it's going to be Ryan Garcia, just because it, it doesn't make sense at this, at this point. And then so the next logical one is Loma. Run it with Loma. Because if you're George, you're like, that, that means I beat the guy with the belts and I beat the guy that he beat, who was the man in the, in the division. I don't, that's undisputed for me. If you can beat Teofimo Lopez and Lomachenko, it's hard to have a dispute at that point. I don't think anyone can really say, you ain't fought me yet. Because then at that point, your CV is pretty strong. So I guess I said all of that just to say this point. There's no, there's no right answer to this. So how do we look at it? We break it down into where, where most of the belts are. So the majority of the belts are with Lou DiBella. In fact, all of the belts in my eyes are with Lou DiBella. Does Lou like Eddie? Nope. Would Lou like to get on zone? Yes. Is Lou DiBella on zone good for his fighters? No, because it's a low visibility platform. So would you do business with Devin Haney based on that? Probably not. You haven't got your own network to do that one on, so it doesn't make any sense. Do you do it with Ryan Garcia? You try and make that fight. At least that gets you on zone. Or if that doesn't get you on zone, it gets you on another network because I think Ryan's more popular than Devin. You know, read into that what you will. So on that side, on the zone side, it doesn't look like the numbers will stack up. So then we look on the top rank side and we go, you got either Loma or Teofimo. All do numbers. You can do Madison Square Garden. You can do Vegas. You're going to do numbers because you've got two people who the public now know. And that makes sense, right? So we've excluded two from the we've excluded two from the zone side, but I think the top rank side is viable. And then we look and we say, okay. From a PBC perspective, the tank fight doesn't say numbers. Don't forget, tank versus Isaac Cruz, a last minute replacement, fifteen thousand five hundred ticket sales, no comps apparently, so tank sells. In terms of pay-per-views, the numbers, the credible numbers that are coming out are somewhere north of 250,000, somewhere south of 350,000. And if you're doing 60 or $70 a pop on those, you're making good money fighting Tank Davis. Now, if we break this down and look at someone like Lou DiBello, who's got to do what's in his own best interest primarily, right? Because he needs DiBello promotions to have a platform that's sustainable. But he also needs to look after the interests of George while he's got the hot ticket. This is his best bargaining chip to say, I need some slots on Fox. I need some slots on Showtime. Or if he goes to Bob, I need some slots on ESPN. The zone doesn't really work for him. It doesn't do the numbers and it's not going to get him the reach to promote his fighters. I think he's got like, um, he's got a few. I don't even remember who he's got now. I really should. Uh, put Serrano in the mix. You know, she's still fighting on like, you know, YouTubers shows or backwards shows you, know, you need a platform for her right because that's how you up the negotiating position for the Katie Taylor fight so I, I think a really long way I can see DeBella going with either ESPN or PBC 
right? So it's either top rank or PBC for for George is fine. The Australia thing's out the window. Whatever Eddie wants to say in his Monday sermons, he doesn't have leverage in this one. Like his only way of getting things moving forward is to get fans to say, "Ah, oh, well, if you're a credible champion, you'll fight Devin Haney," and it's not true. It's not true. George could fight Loma if he beats Loma. Fight Teo again. They're they're two cracking fights. Then go and fight Tank. Imagine he beat all three of those. He doesn't need Devin Haney. And then who does that leave Devin Haney with for a dance partner? Nobody. He'd have to fight someone like Zabetta, who I think is a hard fight for, for Devin Haney because we need to be brutally honest about some of these guys. And I think too often we don't offer true assessments of who these guys really are. Okay, you look at Loma. All the skills in the world, all the slickness in the world, all the intelligence in the world. But Teofimo Lopez showed... If you can control the geography of the fight, Loma's not that great moving to his left-hand side. He, he's he's, he's two-thirds of the fight and moving to his left-hand side. Right? Teo showed that. You watch the fight back. It's only when Loma realized that he had to retake that position did he start to get a foothold in the fight. So we know Loma's vulnerable to that. We also know Loma's vulnerable to heavy-handed people. Right? And uh, he got dropped by Linares, and Linares isn't their heaviest of hands. But we also know that when you plant your feet against Lomachenko like Richard Comey loves to, it's an easy night's work for him. And then you look at Teofimo. Uh, out of the contenders, he's one of the biggest, one of the heaviest punches. Not overly slick, but he's disciplined. He can follow a plan, and he can figure out opponents and he can stay disciplined enough to see the fight through that way. I think in the Cambosos fight, he, he let emotions get into it. But don't take away from what George is. George is a hell of a fighter. Because he ran Lee Selby close as well. So what George is, George is a guy that will stay in the fight for 12 rounds. His levels don't drop off. He's almost got that, that Carl Frochness to him. That you know you've got to go the 12. And if you can't dominate him over the 12, you probably won't win. So that's, that's, that's George as well. And I think George is, George is typical of what you get from Australia, right? Just honest graft, blood, sweat, and tears. If it works, great, it works. If it doesn't, come back and do the same thing again. And then Devin, how do you describe Devin? There's this idea, and Eddie will talk about it, that Devin's a slick, awkward fighter. And you're like, well, actually, no, Devin's a really basic guy. All behind the jab, fundamentally sound boxer. That's how he's been able to move so fast so quickly. His fundamentals are incredible. One of the best jabs I've seen in boxing. You know, in terms of technique, timing, setup, jab's brilliant. But he's one-dimensional. Force, force Devin Haney to fight on the inside, I don't think he can do it. His timing goes off, his defense isn't what it should be. And his chin's not amazing. So against power punches, he's vulnerable on, in that mid to short range. All right. Next time you want to watch it, well, which one of those fights do that? Tank. Tank's the guy that can do it all. That's how I always look at Tank. Is he the best in this group? Maybe, maybe not. He's one of them. But what Tank's really good at is he, he knows if he can bomb you out. And if he can bomb you out, that's what he's going to do. If he needs to box a 12, he'll box a 12. He's clever without being slick. He knows where he needs to be to minimize your opportunities. Now, he's just, he's so well-schooled and it's clear that he listens to his team, but he, and he's still improving. Smallest one out of the group. Probably the guy that should naturally be at a smaller weight. Him and Loma are the smallest. That'd be a hell of a fight. So when you start to look at it, there are all these compelling arguments. Ryan Garcia, nice, long, rangy, like, like, like Devin Haney, fundamentally sound, has all the, the raw materials you'd want. Like this, it's all there. Probably not the work rate king. And I think to, to dominate these guys, I think you've got to be a work rate king. I don't think he's quite got that. Has he got the mental fortitude to come from behind? That's going to be the real test. When we work out who the number one guy in this division is, it isn't going to be down to the stuff I've just talked about. It's really going to be about 
who's the guy that could survive a second round knockdown and still win the fight? Kind of like Ward did against Kovalev. You need that. That's, the, that's that dog spirit. And it doesn't necessarily mean that you need to get down to show that. It just means that you've got that mental strength that says, I will not be denied. And how many of those guys really have that? We don't know. We know Loma because we've seen Loma come from behind and do it. Teo came close to doing it from behind, but not so much. We've seen Tank when the chips are down. We've seen Tank grit it through. We're yet to see Devin and we're yet to see Ryan Garcia do that. But we're definitely, we've definitely seen George Cambosos do that. And it's that mentality that's going to differentiate who ends up with the most wins in this. Because I'm confident if these guys all fight each other once or twice, even three times, no one's going to be undefeated. I don't think it's possible. Unless you cherry pick and you wait till someone's old or injured. On top form, that's almost impossible for these guys to all go undefeated. It just wouldn't make sense. And as fans, it's not what we'd want to see. But do you know what the biggest tragedy in all of this would be? I was reflecting on this. If we ended up with another Crawford situation where we had to wait too long to get the answers that we all want. I, I, I struggle to believe that one big fight is more lucrative than two or three big-ish fights, if you see what I mean. So if, let's say Haney and Ryan Garcia fought twice, I believe they'd make more money than if they just fought once in some supposed super fight. And the problem with promoters is they wait too long for these fights to happen. And like I keep saying, Boxers need to demand the fights happen now. We can always come back around and watch the rematch. How many times did Hearns and Leonard fight each other and it never hurt their bank balance? Never. It never hurt their drawing appeal. Because boxing fans love stars and they love people who give them legit fights and they will always reward that. And if you don't believe me, look at the UFC. You do not have to be undefeated to make big money in the UFC. Well, I say big relative to the size of the market. So let's hope that the fights actually happen and they happen quick enough that we can get two or three kind of go-arounds. That's all we really want as fans because that 135 division has so many questions and they're all lucrative questions to answer. That's enough of that. Let's, let's, let's switch it up now. Let's just move to, let's move to more domestic matters because, you know, Matchroom gave us a, a Liverpool card that I think... 72.3 people watched so i'm not gonna lie the card was terrible it, it yeah and the response i'll get back from saying that is oh you're so negative about stuff no 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 the card is terrible like, it's terrible and i couldn't say anything else when i've been saying for so long that the match from stables bear like the the only fights of interest for me were conor ben versus chris algieri just because i wanted to know what round he was going to get knocked out in and also, I'm going to say the name properly, um, Keevan Agiago. Agiago? Got it. Oh God, if I'm wrong, it was embarrassing. And so I wanted to see how he got on on his matchroom debut because, you know, obviously I'm friends with Eddie Lamb and Eddie speaks really highly of him. Like, Eddie, Eddie classes him as exceptional. So I had, to, I had to really sit down and watch and say, okay, let me see what Eddie sees. And... At the moment, I don't see it. And that's something I'd say to Ed. It's something I'd say to Keevan as well. I don't see it. I see the talent, but I don't see the execution. And here's why. When you're 10 fights in, the thing I'm looking for is, what is it you're going to do at world level? Because you're, you're going to show me that now. Because these are easier opponents, right? So you've got to be working on the building blocks now. And what do I always say? The people who fight at world level do two things really well. One, they control the pace. They fight at their pace and it's normally a pace the opposition can't live with. Number two, combination punches. Apart from the bigger guys like the heavyweights, it's mostly the, the person who throws the combinations and the person who sets the pace normally wins. And that's why guys like Lomachenko and Pacquiao are nightmares to fight with because the pace they set is greater than the pace you've been in camp, right? It's, 
And so when they set that pace, it means that with your counters or with the times you get openings, you have to take these guys out because they can do that pace for 12 rounds. And so the fight I saw on Saturday, when you're that much better than someone, that's the time to say, right, what combinations can I hit this guy with? Because that fight could have been stopped after seven or eight, probably about after seven realistically with combinations but the combinations weren't there so what you do is you give your guy recovery time you know th there's a lot to like you know i love the athleticism i love the fact that he keeps his head moving um Agyako's good defensively he does something that really annoys me and this is what british trainers teach you right when you throw your combination whether it's a jab or a one two or one two hook doesn't matter what you throw you immediately jump back. Now, think about this rationally. As an opponent, I'm going to make you work damn hard to get into range to let your shots go. So if you, if you manage to land two or three shots on me, you've earned the right to stick around. Jumping back just means you've got to start all over again. So in the beginning of the fight, if you look at the first probably three or four rounds, he's hopping in and out, and it's really like that kind of amateur style isn't it that british amateur style you know hibbity hop hibbity hop but with some really good kind of lead hooks thrown in there that shot's really good and he seems to have mastered that i just don't think those sorts of shots work at world level because you'll be scouted for that and they'll see it coming that you know elite guys read things that these sort of journeymen don't so once he stopped doing that, once he knew he had the winning of the fight and he just started to stalk his opponent, he was far more deadly. Just, you've got to do that from the beginning. Like, you, you shouldn't have to warm yourself into a fight that's 10 rounds. Like, you should be at it straight away. It's not like you're fighting, you're not fighting Jam Jamal Charlo, do you know what I mean? But, you know, I don't want to be overly critical because he's 10 fights in, but I do want to see more combinations, you know, punch variety. Create more openings. Don't wait for the guy to make a mistake. Force him to make a mistake. And also drive that pace so you don't give these guys thinking time. If you saw the Lomachenko versus Kome fight, Loma just didn't give him thinking time. So what did Kome do? He just went, right, <laughs> I've got to protect myself at all times. And even that was hard because Loma was like, well, you're not going to attack me. You're going to plant your feet. So I'm literally just going to treat you like a walking punch bag or a stationary punch bag. And I wish more trainers would just talk in terms of pace and combinations because those two things would move British boxing up two or three levels. Just those two things. Because we're fit enough, we're strong enough, right? But we don't ever focus on driving the pace and we don't focus on being combination punches. Now, the missing piece in all of this would be creating great decision makers in the ring. Then I think we, we would comfortably challenge the Americans. But from what I saw, I imagine that Eddie sees a better version of Kevin in, in the gym. I'd believe that 100%. It's just about now translating that gym work into the, you know, into, into fight night, I should say. And I didn't quite see that as much as I wanted to. But I have faith in, in the iBox guys. And so that would be my test, right? And I know Ed will listen to this, but my test will be, Will I see more combinations? Yes or no? Is he setting the pace? And is it a punishing pace? Because if it's not a punishing pace, then I mean, what are we in this for? They're the two things I look for. And I'm you know, just speaking from my own eyes. There's, people may see it differently, but I think those two things tend to be the difference maker at British level. But now let's, let's try and benchmark him and then say, you know, what discussions could we put him in in 2022? Is he in a Eubank Jr. discussion? No. Liam Williams? No. And I don't say that disrespectfully. I just say that as a matter of fact, no. Is he in a Felix Cash discussion? Not yet. People forget Felix is kind of European and knocking on world level now. So I think that's a, it's a hard day's work. Number one. Number two, the pace Felix Cash sets is beyond anything that British middleweights can cope with, I think, apart from Eubank Jr. and Liam Williams. They're the only guys I think you could put in with you know, yeah, you could put them in with, with Felix Cash and it'd be a competitive fight. Outside of that, he's, he, he does too much and he does it too fast for anyone else.
So then, okay, where, where, where do I think he could give us a good fight? I think he could fight Anthony Fowler. Fight him now. If Eggington's a middleweight now, he could give that a go, but that'd be a hard fight for him. Danny Dignam, I think he's competitive in that fight. I think he's competitive with Linus. I think he's competitive with Denzel. So you start to look at that and you go, well, he's, he's in that mix. But his raw talent, like his raw capabilities, like if this was football manager, his numbers would be pretty damn good. He's just got to show that in the ring. But I did enjoy that. Um, in terms of Conor Ben, because I don't really want to talk too much about the, the rest of the card, uh, the, the McGrail brothers are on, and that's cool and that, but I'll zero in when I need to zero in on those guys. I think, you know, the, re the rest of the card was just filler. You know, when Robbie Davis Jr. and Hank Lundy is a fight, uh, you, you, you're not convincing me with washed up Americans, you know. Those guys are just filler now. You know, they, you know, they get their little five figures, some for fighting, and they're, and they're happy with that. And I can't knock that because if you can make a living, make a living. But in terms of the main event, I'm torn. I'm going to be brutally honest. I'm absolutely torn about where we are with Conor Ben right now. So by the time you get to 20 and 0, you should have at least three benchmark fights, right? What, what, one at five bouts, one at 10 bouts, one at 15. And then 20 should be a test. I don't know what benchmark fights Conor Ben has had. BoxRec has him ranked as number one. But he's not the number one welterweight in this country. I, I, don't, I don't believe you know, there's a definitive argument that you could, that you could present. You know, is he better than Chris Congo? I don't think he is. You know, that doesn't mean that he wouldn't beat Chris Congo. I don't think it's definitive. McKinson, not definitive. Josh Kelly, no, not definitive. These are all fights that I think would make sense. You go down to guys like Chris Jenkins. These are all fights that make sense to me. Because you can't keep digging up these old names and, you know, hoping that, you know, the public will believe that he's, he's this killer. Because first and foremost, I'm a fan of parts of the Conor Ben project. I actually like Conor Ben as a person. You can see that his parents invested well in his education because he's a smart guy. And you can put on the, the Nigel Ben pastiche and all of that stuff. You can do all of that. But we know you went to good schools because we know how wealthy your dad still is. So you went to good schools like Eubank Jr. did. So we know you're always going to be well presented and you're, you're going to understand the game. And, you know, we love the fact that despite that privilege, you're still willing to dish it out. And, you know, is that proof that the apple doesn't fall far from the tree? So I'm a fan of all of that. I was a fan of building him slowly and progressively. I thought, yeah, we're going to see this guy grow live on TV. That's going to be an interesting process. I think the mistake we made was trusting it to Eddie Hearn because Hearn hasn't given Conor Ben the fights that will grow him as an opponent, right? Think about the people who are going to be holding those belts in the next two years. It's going to be guys like Errol Spence, Jerome Ennis, Terence Crawford, um, maybe Danny Garcia if he wants to come down, Virgil Ortiz. Josh Taylor's going to come up to 147. Do you see what I mean? You, you, that's, that's a lineup of killers, that's a lineup of killers, and you're not going to be able to do those wild swings and bomb people out of there. You're not going to be able to, to be that not as dark destroyer. You're just not going to be able to do that. It's a statement of fact. So what do you do until you get to that point? You make it hard enough for Conor Ben that he learns about himself and what actually works at the top level and what doesn't. What you don't do is put him in against someone you already had on the payroll as a commentator and who hasn't shown the remotest interest in, in boxing at, at an elite level in a long time. Algeri just came to, to sell his name. He literally came on Saturday to be a sparring partner. And he knows that. Now, did I like the knockout? 100%. Do I think Conor Ben's improved a lot in the last two years? 100%. But he's gone from area level to English level. Now he's probably British level. So put him in the benchmark fight. 
So then at least we can say he doesn't have to bother with these guys anymore. Can Conor Ben get Echo Esselman out of there? Maybe, maybe not. But let's find out. The worst part about all of this is calling up the winner of Amir Khan versus Cal Brook and actually zeroing in on saying, I'd like to fight Amir Khan. Why is it you want to fight Amir Khan? Why? You saw Amir Khan in his, I mean, in that, in his last big fight against Crawford. You, you saw that. What, what, what in that fight would make you think, yeah, here's a fight I'd enjoy. You're watching a guy, what, what is Khan now? 34, 35? And not just like a young 34, 35. Remember, he turned pro at 18. He turned pro at 18. When Amir Khan turned pro, Conor Ben was in primary school. Let that sink in. And that's the guy you want to fight? The same with Kel Brook. Why isn't Conor Ben saying, I want to fight? Because there's only really two kinds of people you want to fight, right? You want to fight the guys at the top or you want to fight the guys of your generation? If you're serious about fighting, that's my view. What you don't do is call up the, the guys who have seen better days. I'm not going to say they're washed up because, you know, it's disrespectful. But both, both Khan and Brooke have seen better days. And so the, the rebuttal is, well, he's also called out Adrian Broner. When's the last time you saw Broner in the ring, number one? Number two, when is the last time you saw Broner take anything seriously regarding boxing? It seems that there are personal problems that Broner's going through. And as a boxing fan, if you're calling for that fight next, you're a disgrace because you know you're only taking it because you know Adrian Broner's in a dark place. Conor Ben's not fighting a fully fit, um, motivated, and kind of match fit Adrian Broner. He's not. And they wouldn't set that fight up. So the sh- th- this is the stuff I don't agree with. What, what I am grateful for is to get to one of the belts, you've got to beat Spence, Crawford, or Ugas. There are no soft touches at 147. There are no soft touches. You remember when Conor Ben was calling out Sean Porter? How do you call out Sean Porter and then fight Chris Algieri? That doesn't make any sense. But this is classic Eddie Hearn, right? In the same way Eddie Hearn's talking about unification between Devin Haney and George Cambosos, you know Devin Haney's going to fight someone like Leo Santa Cruz. You know, you, you know that's what's coming next. So when, when you hear Conor Ben talking about, I want to fight this guy and that guy, you know none of that's really going to happen. You know, if I were to guess, they'll dig up someone like Tulani, Tulani Mbenge. They'll dig up someone like, I don't know what Lipnitz has got left in him. And there'll be someone of that ilk, maybe a Josecito Lopez. Do you know one of those guys who, who has a name, but you don't really understand why they have a name? And they'll just dig that up for Connor and, you know, someone who's susceptible to power shots and that's what will happen. And then they'll be talking about, yeah, he's ready for a world title now. Okay, cool. Ugas, Crawford, Spence. Take your pick. The, the shameless opportunism that's happening at the moment, just, and you know what, all it is, is just to sell tickets. Just so Matchroom can make their numbers. This isn't about building someone's legacy. It, it's literally just about, we don't have anything else. We just don't have anything else, so we're going to the region, so at least we can say our shows are sold out. Because we can't sell out the arenas we used to sell out in London. We can't sell out the O2. Definitely not selling out Wembley unless it's Joshua. Matchroom in a dark place. And the, the sad thing is, at a time where Conor Ben needs proper career guidance, they're not looking at him that way. They're looking at him as their cash cow. And it's setting everything up for a horrible fall. Because if you look at his peers, Jerome Ennis, Virgil Ortiz Jr., they hit just as hard as he does, but with far more boxing intelligence. And it's not like Conor Ben is in an environment where boxing intelligence is a hallmark, if that makes sense. Fit, yes. Strong, yes. Solid on one-twos, yeah. All the basics, I think the matchroom gym will have covered. The ability to, <laughs> to box at an elite level, we've never seen it before. 
I don't think we will see it out of that gym. That's not what it's designed for. And I think everyone knows that. And this is just about getting as much money for Conor Ben and out of Conor Ben as you can. That's the harsh part about it. But I'll come back to the point. That match from Show of All was trash. It was trash. Well, five years into the Katie Taylor experiment, we haven't seen a single show at the at the Aviva. We haven't seen a single show at Croke Park. We haven't seen a homecoming of any description. So when people tell me Katie Taylor's the most important woman in, in female boxing, I'm like, no, she's not. You want to talk about real achievements? Clarissa Shields ranks far above her. You want to talk about impact on the women's game? Natasha Jonas outranks her significantly. You want to talk about how commercial she is? I think Michaela Mayer probably runs her close on that. Kelly Harrington in Ireland is definitely running her close on that. It's weird that Katie Taylor was at her most popular when there weren't other female boxers to benchmark her against. Now the other ladies have come in and they've done their thing and they've shown that there's so much diversity to this thing. Katie Taylor is just one of many now. So many different stories that are far more compelling. Hannah Rankin, far more compelling. Ellie Scottney, far more entertaining in the ring. Natasha Jonas, like the, the high priestess of women's boxing right now. You know, Terry Harper doing her thing. And that's another, I guess that's another Hearn experiment that didn't work. You know, he's racking up these losses. The Campbell Hatton thing isn't going the way he thought. It's just not a good time to be him. And he's not the only promoter. I'll put Frank in that same box as well. A lot of these experiments aren't working. An experiment that is working, though, is Mick Hennessy and Isaac Chamberlain. So here's why I'm delighted for Isaac. If we, if, we, if we strip all the nonsense and say Isaac's last meaningful fight in terms of the boxing universe was probably the Luke Watkins fight. And that's when he was with Angel Fernandez. And, you know, he was boxing a really confused style, like trying to be Cuban, trying to do the catch and shoot, trying to do all of these things that I don't think he was taught the right way. Just giving my opinion now, looking back on it. And so what, what you've seen over those intervening, was it two or three years? You've seen Isaac grow and mature. And he's had ups and he's had downs. And it hasn't always been easy. And one thing I like about Isaac is that he kept smiling throughout it all to the point where you wouldn't know that there were bumps in the road. And he stayed true to the course. And Mick Hennessy believed in him. And Mick said, look, we'll work the plan. And you know when Mick says he'll work a plan, you, you'll get there eventually. Now... Are there quicker ways to get from A to B than Mick's route? Probably. But Mick will get you there regardless. And so, from Isaac being the flag bearer of the British cruiserweight division, he kind of fell back. Like, Lawrence went off into the stars. And I don't think people would challenge that. Lawrence went off into the stratosphere. Um, Richard Reakpour's come, he's gone, he's come back again, and he's made a statement, he's won belts. You know, Chris Billum-Smith has come. He's won belts. Tommy McCarthy's shown up. He's won European belts. And you start to look at that mix and you go, oh, okay, this is getting competitive. And then Jack Massey goes and wins an IBO world title. And you're like, oh, this was cooking nicely. And so Isaac went to the back of that queue because people weren't talking about him. There wasn't a benchmark fight for us to go, oh, here's where he's at. We got that on Friday. We finally got what we were asking for on Friday. Remember, Dylan Prazovic is the guy that Okoli fought on the Joshua undercard. Uh, well, the Joshua Usyk undercard. So, it's a benchmark of sorts. Not necessarily between Lawrence and Isaac, but where Isaac is in this cruiserweight mix. You know, is he back in that discussion? That was always going to be the test in this fight. And I know in the build-up to the fight, you know, Isaac understood this. We, we had conversations about it. And the honest, my honest view was, you need to stop this guy. And it needs to look good. And not necessarily so you can say to people, the Lawrence thing was an, an aberration. No, it's not even about that. It's, it buys you the legitimacy to say, I'll fight the Billum Smiths, the Tommy McCarthy's, the Jack Massey's of this world. And so he did that. Now, Prasovic was perfect, was perfect fodder for Isaac. Stars make fights. When you hold your elbows high against someone like Isaac, who's a hell of a body puncher, you're in for a tough night. 
And Isaac pinpointed the weakness immediately, went after it, stopped the fighting around. That's all he had to do. Now, now you don't sound stupid saying, why can't he fight Jack Massey next? Mick and Dennis are guys who could do business together. My only question is, what does that, what does that whole card look like? Number one. Number two, how do you split that money? Do you see what I mean? Do you do, you do that in Sheffield? If you do, I'm definitely up, I'm up there for that one, 100%. Do you do it down here? But please, don't do Crystal Palace again. For no other reason, that is hard to get back from. It's not like the copper box where at least you get a 24-hour tube line or whatever. It was just hard to get back from. But I was happy for Isaac. You know, a lot's happened in his life. I mean, he's definitely a different man now than when he fought Luke Watkins. And I think you saw that on Friday. And I think you're going to go on to see that. You know, what the future holds, don't know. We might, we, we might do a part two um, if if timings and so forth allow it. I think that would be fascinating just to know where Isaac's head's at. Not that I don't speak to him very often, but you know, I, it would be good to share that with the wider public. But I'm really, really happy for Isaac and it looks like he's happy around the Hennessy's. It looks like they care about him and life's going well, you know, fatherhood. He's just, he's in a good space right now and long may it continue. God, I just realised I'm 50 minutes in. I may as well just run through to 55 and just... And just sign off that way with, with just seeing what's happening in the in the wider world of boxing. Because I haven't really been plugged in. But I did see Josh Taylor throwing his toys out the pram about sports personality of the year. It's, it's a crazy paradox, isn't it? Tyson Fury really doesn't want to be in sports personality of the year. Gets nominated. Josh Taylor really wants to be in sports personality of the year. Probably deserves it. Doesn't get nominated. And kicks off and says he's the only champion only undisputed British champion in the four belt era. And I was just a bit like, uh, there was a time when the IBO was a serious belt. And in Europe, the IBO is held in higher regard than the WBO. So Lennox was a four belt champion, whatever anyone wants to say. He was a four belt champion because he had four belts that people fought for individually. And I wish people would stop trying to discredit Lennox Lewis, man. He, He's the guy that no one should be able to discredit because he fought in like a, a savage division and he was the head savage of that division. The head savage of that division. And I don't know why people just don't respect that. It's because he's too mild-mannered and well-spoken in public. They don't realize that Lennox will take your head clean off your shoulders if you keep disrespecting him. But... You know, what else has been happening in the in the in the sort of trifling world of boxing? Yeah, Pro Bellum. So Sonny Edwards actually looked good um, out in Dubai. I, I I enjoyed bits of that fight. It was nice to see. It was nice to see some spite, and you know, I think Jason Mama made it easy to do that because he he shut off a lot of the spaces Sonny would retreat to. But I yeah, it was enjoyable. That's. That's the Sonny Edwards I can watch. Put, plant your feet for a little while. Let some combinations go. Hurt someone. Drop some. Just, you know, give us some entertainment. So I thought, good performance. Um, I never really got to speak too much on the undefeated situation, did I? But I have a feeling Sonny loves that because that's his fuel. Because if you go back in time, when Charlie was coming up, and people would be like, I wonder if the, the other little guy will be any good. Will he ever be as good as his brother? And so Sonny's mindset's always been, I'll show you. And then when Charlie made GB, I wonder if Sonny will make GB. I was like, ah, I'll show you. So he always needs that, right? And that's why I try not to feed into it. Because it's not a game I like to play. Like, you know, do your thing. But I think with the undefeated guys, they fed into that. Because they gave him all the energy he wanted. And... Good for him. He turned that into a, a win that, that you have to call impressive. And now he's talking unifications. And I say, why not? You know, am I, am I going to be a fan of the, the little guy's boxing? It's just not my thing. But I can tip my hat to Sonny Edwards and say, mate, you went out to Dubai. And it's not like you went out there with time to acclimatize, right? You went out there, well, on the Monday. You fought on the Saturday. That could be pretty rough for some people. But he went out there and he performed. And that's all you can say is that the young man performed. So credit to him for that. 
you know, but I've got to touch on the, the things that interest me. And I'm all about the big guys. And I am looking forward to Charles Martin versus Luis Ortiz. Because I have no idea how good Charles Martin is. And can you imagine if he beats Luis Ortiz? Like, he shoots right up the rankings with that one. And we might have to put him on our, on our pound for pound list. Although he's always been on mine. I'm not going to pretend otherwise. Uh, and one last thing I want to touch on. People need to respect how hard boxers can punch. And I'll explain what I mean. Everyone remembers when Hearn was talking about crossover fights between Amanda Nunes and Katie Taylor and stuff like that, right? That's what they were talking about. Oh, man. And people really believed Amanda Nunes would have a chance. Now I watched Amanda Nunes box the other lady. I can't remember her name, sorry. Because, like, this is still, I mean, like a just going live off the top of the dome. But she fought the other lady, who I imagine was Brazilian as well. And people thought this was just a routine defense for Amanda Nunes. What I found really, really interesting was the other woman wasn't even a great boxer and didn't seem to hit that hard. And it still seemed to affect Amanda Nunes, who, who couldn't find a, a solution to that. And in the end, she tapped even before the, the choke was cinched in, even before the, the hooks were in. like and Remember when people made fun of Conor McGregor for, for tapping too soon? This was like a preemptive tap, just like I'm not even trying to go out unconscious, but I'm just going to tap now because I'm in a bad position. I don't know how to get out of this. And the reason I say all of that is, in all of these crossover fights like the Vito Belfort versus Evander Holyfield and so on and so forth, it's given MMA fans this notion that actually their strikers can compete with boxers. I'm going to say this now, and I'm 100% confident. Anthony Yard in a boxing match would knock out Francis Ngannou. He'd probably knock out Andrei Olovsky. He'd knock out most of those heavyweights. Anthony Yard would do. Boxing gloves, MMA gloves, doesn't matter. He would knock them out. I think Umar Sadiq would knock him out. I think Denzel Bentley, it's 50-50 against Francis Ngannou. Now look at the weight disparity. There's 100 pounds between them. The power that boxers are able to generate at the elite level is something MMA guys will never be able to do. And that's why when they get hit, they fall over. You know, you have to respect these guys. I, I say this a lot. The gap between the guy on the street that's never had a fight and the guy that has had a fight, is massive, right? Then the guy that's had a few street fights versus the guy that goes to his local gym and hits the bag, that's another big gap. Now, the, the guy that hits the bag versus the guy that spars, another big gap. And then there's a huge gap between the guy that spars and the guy that competes successfully. All the way up to the guys who are elite professionals. This is a huge gap. The guys on the street have no idea. They have no idea what it's like to get hit and rocked by people who know what they're doing. So I always say this, have some respect for what these, these athletes are capable of because they are specialists in knocking seven bells out of you with their fists. And that conveys a certain level of expertise that most people don't understand, but Next time you think you can take on one of these boxes or you can do this, you can do that, just pinch yourself and go, I haven't put in the hours and the years that they have. I, I don't need to be getting that kind of brain damage. My ego shouldn't be that big that I'm willing to sustain brain damage to prove a point. And on that note, guys, I'm going to say, I hope you enjoyed this one. This was a bit longer than I thought it would be, but I hope you enjoyed. As always, if you've enjoyed the content, retweet, like share you know put at least one of your friends onto it man let's spread that reach and um, we've we've grown what 20 percent this year i haven't really looked at the full stats but we've grown about 20 percent this year and i'd like another 20 to 25 percent growth because i didn't realize that these guys are the undefeated pod don't do numbers greater than mine there's i'd probably do 90 percent of what they do and look at them they get to run around on tv doing this that and the third man <laughs> When are these networks going to give us our chance to be, to be seen and to be heard? And on that note, I will sign off and say, take care, guys. And remember, 
keep supporting the content. Bye.